0: Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Folks, we are in Acts chapter 1. We're going to finish Acts 1 today. I've titled this one uh, again, uh, Let Another Man Take His Office, but this is part two. Part two. Last Sunday, we learned that there was, there was needed a replacement for Judas Iscariot uh, to restore the number of apostles to, to 12. Had to be done before the day of Pentecost. Today, we're going to observe the process of replacement for Judas, uh, and this is indeed a unique process. Uh, drawing lots is not how we select leadership today, uh, and I'll explain a few reasons why later, uh, but Peter has demonstrated to us uh, that Jewish culture, but more importantly, more importantly, Holy Scripture requires that another man take Judas's office. And from that point, we hear Peter uh, state, beginning in verse 21, Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John, until the day that Jesus was taken up from us, One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. Thereby, the company of apostles, it was restored to that iconic Jewish number, twelve. I've been uh, asked numerous times over the years uh, concerning our earlier scripture reading, that was in Matthew chapter 19, I was asked this, Does Matthias get the 12th throne to judge Israel, or does it go to the much more prominent Apostle Paul? We have to admit there is a stark contrast between those two men. Matthias, like several of the other apostles, uh, he's never again mentioned by name in the Bible. Neither is Nathanael, Nathaniel, neither is Thomas. But after Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus, becoming the apostle Paul, he becomes the most prominent figure throughout the rest of the New Testament. Some have even suggested that Matthias was a mistake. And that the 11 apostles, you know, they kind of jumped the gun in choosing Matthias. Well, I've, I've always, as you, I've always had a hunch, but until my research over these last two Sundays, I, I wasn't entirely 100% sure how to answer that, uh, but I am now. I am now. Without question in my mind, you have to decide if you agree. But without question, the last two Sundays, what we've studied, Matthias receives the twelfth throne. Citing what we learned last week, in order for the apostles to to present themselves as the legitimate representatives of the new covenant to Israel, the new covenant in Christ through the Messiah, there must be twelve witnesses on the day of Pentecost to Jesus' resurrection. Matthias was there. Paul is not. He missed it by a long shot. And we remember that Paul himself identifies in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8, as last and least of all the apostles one who was what untimely born that word untimely indicates at the wrong time a birth at the wrong time paul was was out of sequence too, too little too late to be an apostle to the jews and instead Paul clarifies in Romans 11 and verse 13 while he was speaking to the gentile population he says inasmuch then I am an apostle of gentiles Paul was an apostle of gentiles did the gentiles need a testimony from a true apostle yes did that apostle need to be visibly need to have visibly seen the risen Christ? Yes. Did the apostle to the Gentiles need to be validated as the others were through certifiable miracles? Yes. Was it essential? Here's a big one. Was it essential that he received the right hand of fellowship? and be embraced by the other 12 apostles. Yes. Did, however, reflecting back to last Sunday, did the Gentiles need 12 of them? No. No, that iconic number 12, it's completely insignificant to unrefined heathen Gentiles. Unlike Israel, um, numbers such are t- of, as 12 are, are they're simply immaterial to Americans as to whether Jesus is the true Christ and Messiah. Uh, Israel, it was a big issue. Gentiles, not at all. Think about it. The times that you have shared the gospel with someone, a neighbor, a family member, uh, or, or anyone else, how many times did you really make that gospel presentation hinge on the fact that there were twelve apostles. Insignificant to Port St. Lucie. The twelve were uniquely vital for Israel. Israel had to have twelve, as we talked about last week. Uh, Nonetheless, Paul declares, I am an apostle. I have seen the risen Christ. I have displayed the marks of a true apostle. Miracles, signs, and wonders and we also know the other 12, including Peter himself, firmly embraced Peter as a true apostle. But does Paul get one of those 12 thrones? No. No. Uh, wherever Paul was on that Pentecost, we don't know for sure where, where Saul was on the day of Pentecost. Nonetheless, ideologically, ideologically, Saul or Paul stood against the twelve on that day. He stood opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ when the new covenant was presented to Israel. The throne goes to Matthias. By comparison, Paul confesses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 7, he says, Jesus appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, As to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Don't miss that statement. The Apostle Paul declares Jesus appeared to all the apostles and last of all, me. Paul was last. So are there any more of these apostles roaming around today? These apostles. Not unless they're really old. There are only twelve thrones. There's only twelve thrones. So that office clearly doesn't continue in perpetuity. One final observation concerning Matthew 19. Our scripture reading earlier. Uh, Jesus promised his twelve apostles will sit on twelve thrones to judge the twelve tribes of Israel. That comparison there with the number twelve, it is important. The twelve apostles will sit on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That is a superlative statement if Jesus ever made one. Christ says, My guys are going to judge your guys. Reuben, Zebulun, Issachar, your guys are out. Peter, James, John, your guys are in, including Matthias, who Jesus himself had just selected. How did the process of replacement unfold? The replacement for Judas, uh, well, Peter announces three criteria. We see beginning in verse 21 the first qualification Peter reveals is that he must be a man. That that is consistent with what Scripture always teaches elsewhere. That is that a woman is not permitted to teach or exercise authority over a man. And we learn from that text which states that very clearly 1 Timothy 2.13 male headship Male leadership has nothing to do with level of intelligence or charm or beauty, obviously. Rather, male headship is required to reflect God's created order, his design for male and female genders. Adam was created first, says Paul, and then Eve. You can go read the explanation for yourself. Male leadership reflects God's design for two genders, present from the very beginning of God's creation. Some people may, some some women may struggle to understand uh, some types of men too. Uh, That that though men have the highest respect for our mothers and for our wives, the highest respect, uh, men will only ever truly follow other men. There exists an unmistakable distinction between the male and female genders. It's due because of God's design in all creation. There's male and female and nothing in between by the way. Um, It's God's design of creation. And the, the big hairy guy He is tasked by God primarily to spiritually protect and lead his family and the church. And the stunningly beautiful gal, she is tasked by God primarily to nurture the home and children, the domestic life. It's clear in order of creation. Male and female are different Speaking to females of all walks of life, this is to uh, young and old, married, not married, childbearing or childless. uh, Ladies, never allow yourself to be made to feel inadequate because of the way that God created you. He created you the way you are. The culture, and they're saying that a woman who, who nurtures a family, you know, she isn't achieving in society. Our culture doesn't know what achieving is. Can you, can you think of a higher, a higher calling from God than to have children and then to nurture them in the home, in the Word of God, into a relationship with Jesus Christ? There's no greater calling among us than the mother There is a, a great detriment to our culture today because there's an absence of male leadership uh, both in the home and in the church. Uh, friends, churches and families suffer when there is not male leadership, uh, when men do not embrace their design to lead, to care for uh, their family and for the flock of God. Uh, Still, some are going to insist, I know this objection is out there, so I'll address it. Some will insist that Jesus, you know, he just, he just merely felt pressured. Pressured to, to choose exclusively male apostles. It, it was for appearance sake, they say. It was, it was, he did so as to not offend his Jewish heritage and his culture in that day, Uh, Such people fail to recognize Jesus never once hesitated to offend his Jewish heritage and culture in that day. (laughs) And being God in human flesh, God himself, Jesus Christ, uh, he was no respecter of persons nor feared nobody. Uh, In fact, Christ so offended his Jewish culture in that day that they nailed him to a cross. Therefore, if anyone were to going to challenge or to, to change, alter God's gender design, his divine gender roles for man and woman, a created order that Jesus himself created, by the way, if anyone were to do that, then Jesus would have done it by choosing a few women as apostles. But he didn't. And Jesus would have never left that change of the, the gender roles to, to 20th-century liberal theologians from corrupt institutions like Harvard and Yale. Jesus would have not delegated it to them, uh, just continues uh, striving to confuse uh, our, our families and our culture. Scripture reveals that uh, many women were incredibly. Loyal to Christ, incredibly useful to Jesus Christ uh, while he walked the earth. Uh, we know from our past text that we have studied that there were many women. Many of these women were present with Jesus Christ uh, on the, uh, uh, in the last days and present in this room with Peter when he declared that Judas's replacement must be a man. Second, Any replacement would also need to have been with them from the beginning. That is, from the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, which started at Christ's baptism by John the Baptist. Look at verse 21. He must have accompanied us all the time. That the Lord Jesus went in and out amongst us, uh, beginning with the baptism of John, until the day that Jesus was taken up from us. That being uh, Jesus' ascension, which occurred, well, like as recent as yesterday, right? Peter's saying, within the last couple of days, we know that Jesus had ascended, and Peter's saying, basically, the whole time. The whole time. Uh, so any replacement for Judas would have had to have been with the other eleven the entire time. Why? Why? Well, there are numerous reasons. But for starters, uh, the man's continued presence demonstrated that he was faithful and endured alongside the others under the headship of Christ it would also assure that that same man possessed the full and comprehensive picture of everything that Jesus had taught. Not not sound bites or bits and pieces that he heard along the way from others who may be repeating it. No, he heard it firsthand. Presence also establishes his credibility among the twelve. If a man is going to be trusted as a fellow leader and a friend, the two go hand in hand, he'll need to be certain uh, that he remains with you. He can't drop in for the Sermon of the Mount and then be elsewhere enjoying a walkabout somewhere while Jesus is feeding the 5,000. That that would leave no way to know whether the man would have fled when virtually everybody else does in John chapter 6. All the other disciples uh, take off and leave. There were probably hundreds of them. How would you know whether he would have left with them or when Jesus inquired of his twelve? When when Jesus said, uh, Are you going to go also? Actually, he said it in a sense, you don't want to go also, do you? And then present, uh, would that man have stood shoulder to shoulder with the twelve when Peter assured Jesus with this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Would he stand with the twelve? Folks, trust is indispensable in ministry. Slowly gained, quickly lost. One year ago, when one of our elders, Jerry Robertson, uh, unexpectedly passed away, uh, Anthony and I had to discern, you know, who's with us? Who's been with us? Who remains with us along the way? And and that's an open-ended conversation that leadership has has informally over time it's in preparation for the nominations that we are giving to you today, uh, it especially applies to elders, Steve Elger was the obvious choice along with applying the there are essential qualifications for leadership, especially the office of elder, but along with applying these scriptural qualification, qualifications we ask, is the man always with us? Is his wife also with us? How do we know? Well, for one, they've communicated it to us. Usually in front of all of us, verbally, repeatedly, various tones of affirmation. They do so privately. They do so publicly. They reassure us that they're with us. It's not a question mark. By the way, I, I would just like to take a moment, and I, I don't do this very often. I, I want to take a moment as we have the, the congregational report coming up in just two weeks now, uh, uh, how highly I regard Anthony Alberino and Steve Elgar. Uh, I truly do. Um, they're rock solid. They're rock solid. Uh, and they aren't hesitant to let me know, hey, we're with you. And I, and I don't hesitate to let them know, hey, I'm with you too. No, it's not like that. But (laughs) Reassure them of the same. Anthony and Steve are men of high character. Uh, Matthias, he was tested and he was trusted. He had stood the test of time. For continuity of understanding also, I would add this. Speaking of, you can't just pick up parts of Jesus' ministry along the way. Uh for continuity of understanding I would urge all of our members uh, as you take a week or two or vacation some of you are retired uh, I would urge you to keep up with us with our sermons that are posted online just for the continuity of the books that we're going through verse by verse to to stay current with us Uh, I realize I do not have a great accent like Alistair Begg I understand that that is true that is true Uh, but listening preserves your, your spiritual and scriptural continuity with the rest of the flock. Um, listen to beg afterward if you want someone who will say it a little nicer. And he's, he does well, very eloquent. Um, I, I hear back from many who, when they're out of town, it's like, yeah, I checked in, I listened. and You know what they're saying there is? I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, application doesn't go, get much more practical than that. Thirdly, Thirdly, any candidate for apostle, if you'll look with me at verse 22, he must have visibly witnessed the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. As did the disciple who was named Thomas. You'll find in, in uh, John chapter 20, uh, each one of them had at least the opportunity Maybe they didn't do it, but each one of these apostles had at least the opportunity to put their finger into the wounds in Jesus' hands and to touch his side. Please have a little patience with me as I have had a little difficulty this week as to deciding how we can apply this today. Can't do it. You can't apply this scene, Jesus physically resurrected uh, today in modern day. Uh, Just can't. Our faith is founded in apostolic eyewitness that is recorded in Scripture. We sang a song that reverberates. I walk by faith and not by sight. None of us has to see anything. I don't need to see any miracle. I don't want to see any miracle. What would I need to see to question that Jesus is risen from the dead? I have the Holy Spirit in me, as I pray you do as well. Expecting to see something, that's questioning. That's not faith in Jesus Christ. Our gospel of salvation hinges on eyewitness testimony that Jesus was raised from the dead. They saw it. And consistent testimony of multiple eyewitnesses, here we're talking about 12. Consistent testimony of multiple eyewitnesses like this is more than sufficient evidence for any courtroom conviction today. You'd go down, you go down on two or three witnesses, 12 witnesses on the day of Pentecost will be proclaiming the consistent same thing that they had seen. And so, just as the Apostle declares in 1 Corinthians 15, this is the gospel. He said, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, the good news, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which also you stand, by which also you were saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, Unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, writes Paul, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve... After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. And then, Paul says, last of all, Jesus appeared to me also. Again, Paul says, I was the last to see him physically visible. Um, Some only believe what they can see. But sight is not faith. Therefore, we don't demand to see the resurrection. We are commanded by the Holy Spirit of God to believe the resurrection. First and foremost, there, will be a resur- or there was a resurrection of Jesus Christ, and in the future, there will be a resurrection of everyone from the dead uh, to face judgment when Christ returns. Scripture says that God sent Jesus into the world, His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save sinners. How did He do that? Well, Christ, God Himself in human flesh, lived a life entirely sinless, completely without sin. Then He endured the punishment for the sins of the many on the cross, Many doesn't suggest everybody. But the many are among us who believe in Jesus Christ and that he took the punishment which we deserve on the cross. Divine judgment, just judgment, righteous judgment of God against mine and your sin, nailed to his own son, his own sinless son on the cross. He paid our debt. But not everyone's going to be saved. Some are going to receive from God in in hell a just punishment for their own sins. Somebody's going to pay for it. Either you're going to worship Jesus Christ for paying for it as your Savior, or you're going to pay for your own sins in hell for eternity. The the offer's right there. The Scriptures are plainly clear. Clear but some refuse to believe in the Son of God. But for those of us who do believe, we who are Christians, uh, we recognize that Christ received the punishment that I deserve and and that I can be free, declared free from the punishment. I I can be pardoned for all the sin that I have done. I can be pardoned from the true justice of God, a penalty in hell. Because God is just. God is just. But He is also merciful. He is also loving. He he is also uh, compassionate on people who are caught in their sins. And what does Scripture say? 1 Peter 2.24 For He Himself bore our sins in his body, on the cross, that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you are healed. The prophet Isaiah continues that, and we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Praise Jesus. The command we must heed is the one Jesus declared to doubting Thomas, one of the disciples who demanded he must see Jesus risen. And Jesus said to Thomas in front of the others, You believe because of what you have seen? Blessed are they who believe yet have not seen. And the command is, be not unbelieving, Thomas, but believing. And as Matthew Baralt obeys this command today and asks to be baptized, you'll see a short video in just a few minutes. Um, Matthew's ultimate testimony is through the water baptism. The water baptism. The baptism says, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and that he was buried. Going under the water is our symbolism. But then also, we bring Matthew back up again. You should know that, Matthew. We we bring Matthew up again out of the water, which symbolizes our faith that God has raised Jesus up from the dead again. And we too are raised from our spiritual deadness a rebellion against God, we get a we receive by the Holy Spirit a new life in Christ. The symbolism reflected in water baptism is death, burial, and resurrection again. Uh, that's just one of the reasons, by the way, that we don't sprinkle here. Okay, kind of hard to symbolize that through sprinkling uh, someone with water. All of you are invited to the rear of our property immediately after worship today to witness Matthew's testimony uh, through baptism. Uh, there must be a 12th witness to this resurrection of Christ. Therefore, in verse 23, it says that they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who's also called Justice, and Matthias. Both men are deemed equally qualified, equally faithful, uh, but as we learned last week, there cannot be 13. There must be 12. So their process was of drawing lots. It was to ask Christ to choose. Just as verse 2 assures us that Jesus had chosen each and every one of these apostles, uh... Here, Jesus is going to be given the choice to choose. There's there's a really interesting dynamic, by the way, um, that that we see here in this passage at the beginning of the church, nearing the birth of the church at Pentecost. uh, Now with the physical absence of the Lord Jesus, who has ascended, uh, to some extent, to some extent, this passage assures that now after Christ has ascended into heaven, uh, that our Lord Jesus has begun delegating to man a responsibility to identify who is qualified for leadership. There's an element of that here. That there's being delegated to man to, to identify the replacement. And we, we'll see that from this day forward in Scripture. rest of Acts, the, the balance of Scripture. Uh, Jesus is no longer among his disciples to call every move for them. He has ascended. And this delegation of authority will continue through the New Testament and onward until this day. We see men of the church will lay hands on other men who are deemed faithful and scripturally qualified for leadership. We often refer to that as ordination or commissioning. Sometimes the term is used. It's used for, for Pastors, and it is used for missionaries who go out. We'll see it in the book of Acts. Christ has delegated that to us now. Gives us scriptural qualifications, said, handle this. I'm not going to be walking you every turn and twist. And uh, we do our prayerful best at determining who is called to ministry leadership. We try. It takes time to know who's who and that's the reason that scripture will tell us elsewhere that you don't lay hands on too quickly. It takes a period of observation for the character. Uh, there needs to be a considerable period. The apostles here have had some time. Approximately three years to watch these other men uh, Matthias and uh, Joseph. Uh, almost three years to observe the character of these two men. Full time by the way pretty much for three years. Three years. And uh, Joseph and Matthias are the two. But since this is the office of apostle, and since they can't do two, they asked Jesus Christ to choose. Verse 24, They prayed and said, "You Lord, you know the hearts, the hearts of all men. Show which one of these two you have chosen." to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them and the lot fell to Matthias and he was added to the other 11 apostles. The process here was not haphazard. Um, the apostle... The apostles realize they know they know that God knows the heart of every man. He's sovereign over everything, uh, but before the eyes of men, before the eyes of men, both Joseph and Matthias they, they appear equally qualified. But the casting of lots it was an acceptable practice in Israel. It was like flipping a coin or drawing straws. Proverbs 13, sixteen verse thirty three states. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. God controls even the flip of a coin. That is a fact. But this is not playing loose and by chance. That is not what we see here. But when all other things appear equal, when when everything appears equal, the drawing of lots is an acceptable practice. Most churches, you know, if they if they find they have two equally experienced men, uh, they're going to invite both of them to lead. It's because church leadership isn't limited to any specific number like twelve. But if a search committee needed to decide between two otherwise equally qualified candidates to present to a congregation as a pastor, an occupational pastor, they could conceivably flip a coin. And God would reveal to them which was the one. Uh, I, I normally think they, they sense one is just the right one. And uh, I, I advise they would, should just make their choice. But the same is true... For you, if you are choosing between two equally alluring jobs in two different parts of the country, or two colleges to attend, when neither choice, this is important, when neither choice would be sinful or clearly superior to the other, and you must select one, you are welcome to know that God is in control of the flip of a coin. You can do that if you so choose. I would still advise you, just choose one. Make it your own choice. Which you can't do. We're talking about sin. If there's one choice that is godly, one college that is better, and there's another one that's known as a party college, and you're like, I'd really like to go to the party college. Um, And I'm like, but I know I'm supposed to go to the other one. I'll flip a coin, and at least I got a 50% chance. No, that's not, that's not what's going on here. You don't flip a coin for things that are moral, that are important, and choices. Uh, your choices have to be well informed. Uh, but never flip between unequal choices. We, we don't ever see the casting of, of lots uh, in, in the balance of Scripture following this. Uh, so it's not common. It is not necessary. Uh, nor do we see Matthias' name again uh, nor Nathaniel, nor Thomas. Uh, it's not necessary for us to know exhaustively what occurred uh, for every and each apostle. Uh, our Bibles would be thick. Well, you think it's going to take us a while to get through Acts now. Just think of the Acts of the Apostles contained all the Acts of all 12 of them. We'd never get out of here. Uh, <laughs> Our Bibles would be too thick. Uh, it would take us 30 years, of course. Uh, we have in the New Testament a, 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 a spirit-guided, a spirit-written sample of what they did. This is a sample of what the Apostles did in the book of Acts. And from what, from what we learn in other recorded history, uh, other, uh, other writings from early church fathers and other recorded history, uh, we learn that Each of these twelve, except one, Uh, there was one, the Apostle John, who was able to live out, he was allowed to live by God, uh, his natural physical life. Uh, All the rest were were martyred for proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, uh, the Son of God, and that you must place your faith alone in Him. They were martyred for it. That's how seriously these men took this invitation uh, for you to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today. This is what Matthew Beralt wishes to profess to us that he has done uh, through water baptism. Uh, so I'm going to pray. Then when I'm, when I'm done, Matthew and I are going to depart to go to the other building to get prepared, uh, make a quick change of clothes. Uh, you guys are going to enjoy a verse, uh, a couple verses from one of my favorite hymns, and uh, followed by a short video from Matthew. Uh, Matthew, I'll meet you outside of the baptistry. The rest of us, let's pray.